On this episode of Blue 58, that'll just about do it. The Packers' 2018 season is effectively over as of today. How did the Bears take apart the Packers when they absolutely had to have a win? We'll discuss and try to figure out what the Packers do from here. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, your one and only podcast from thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Well, here we are. We knew this was coming, and yet it still doesn't feel any better that it finally happened. The Packers' 2018 season is over. There are no more meaningful games to be played this year, and now, in essence, starts the long dark of the offseason. It may be a bright offseason. Who knows? The Packers have a lot of interesting things that they can do, a lot of cap room to work with, and, of course, those two first-round picks. So let's start projecting mock drafts and, and see what happens. Well, first we've got to talk about a couple games, this one in particular. What happened in this one? Well, three simple things, and I think it all boils down to the Chicago Bears. The Bears built a lead. The Bears didn't break down when the Packers came back, despite the Bears' best efforts. And then the Bears closed out the game, thanks to some missed opportunities by the Packers. Let's dive into those three happenings and try to sort through the wreckage that is this game. So the Bears building that lead, I think it pretty much comes down to the first half. This game was largely decided before the halftime break. The the Packers, excuse me, the Bears built their lead due to two key factors, talent disparity and field position. Is there any question right now that the Bears are more talented than the Packers, at least the group that was on the field today? I think you could quibble with it a little bit if Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark are out there, if Kevin King is active today if the Packers maybe have a little bit more help in their safety group. None of that really matters because the group that was on the field today, the Bears had a decided advantage. Packers had some injuries, sure, but when the cards were down, the Bears were a better team. And it would have been a significant upset if the Packers had won. The Packers are too shorthanded on defense to really make the Bears work for anything. And the Bears were just too strong on defense for the Packers to get much. Not that 17 points was ever really going to get it done, but they managed to make the Packers or put the Packers in a position where they were going to have to really, really work to get the amount of points that it would take to win. And you probably have to cross that 20-point threshold to really have a shot at anything in the 2018 NFL. Probably have to get to the mid-20s, upper-20s, to really feel good about your offensive performance. The Bears showed us today that you can win with 24 points as long as your defense is shutting people down and the Packers haven't had that kind of defense in most of a decade. The Packers were going to have to work to get to that threshold and the Bears made sure that they did. And of course the Packers did have some injuries and of course those injuries happened in all the wrong spots. The offensive line missing Brian Bulaga was huge. And the times when they ended up with Jason Spriggs on an island against Khalil Mack did not go particularly well. We'll talk about Mack's sacks later on. I think you have to kind of look past the sack numbers to see the impact that Mack had on the game because I don't think the sacks really show you. Sure, they're going to show that he was in on three sacks, but I don't think that's really, really the total of what he did today, nor the best measure of his impact on on the Packers offense. Packers secondary was also a little bit on the banged up side. We pointed out in our preview that the Bears don't rely on one particular receiver to get things done for them. They're a deep, 
diverse group of pass catchers. But if the Packers were healthy in the secondary and had their preferred group out there, this game probably looks a little bit different. They probably make those multiple receivers work a little bit harder to get the yards that they do. And the Packers were not ideal in the secondary today, and that lets the Bears get by with that relatively lackluster group. Trey Burton is a fine player, but he's not the sort of guy that anybody's really particularly scared about. Even if the Bears do use him well, he's not putting the fear of God into anybody. But if you don't have your preferred group out there, suddenly Burton becomes a much better matchup for the Bears, and that's what happened today. Then the Packers' defensive line, not ideal at all. Um, Chicago went inside without fear again and again and again because Kenny Clark was out and Mike Daniels was out. You have to feel like there would have been some significantly different things for the Bears to contend with if the Packers were able to rely on Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark up front. So that was a bit of a bummer. And then field position. Just take a look at where the Packers and Bears were starting their first half drives. The Packers had five drives in the first half. They started on their own four, their own 25, their own 39, their own two, and their own 25. They only scored on one of those five drives, and I bet you can guess which one. It was their own 39. Clear that up for you. The Bears, meanwhile, started drives on their own 23, their own 40, which resulted in Jordan Howard's touchdown, their own eight, their own 21, and their own 39. And that 39-yard line drive ended with the Cohen touchdown. The Bears built their lead because first and foremost, they were better, but also they used that talent to put themselves into a good position time and time again. And eventually it just turned out to be more than the Packers defense could handle. And as a result, the Bears went up at the half. Then we get to the third quarter and the start of the fourth quarter. Credit to the Packers making a bit of a rally here. Credit the Bears, I guess in part, for allowing that rally first, but then not allowing their game to be entirely derailed by mistakes of their own making. The Packers, excuse me, the Bears opened the door in this one when they didn't have to through two kind of strange plays. They had a fake punt, and then they went with a wild card look that really backfired. The fake punt seemed like a needless gamble. If you're going to try to pick something up, why not rely on your offense to get those two yards? Instead, they go with the fake punt. The Packers take over at the 50-yard line. They go and get a touchdown, thanks in part to an amazing play by Devontae Adams on the sideline, who follows it up later in the drive with, uh, with the two-point conversion, and suddenly you've got a tie game. On the Bears' very next drive, they decide to go with a strange three-back wildcard look where Tariq Cohen is taking the snap from shotgun, as Mitchell Trubisky motions out to the left side of the formation. But Cohen, operating as that quarterback, fumbled the ball on a read option look. He left the ball in Jordan Howard's belly too long when he tried to pull it out. He fumbled, and the Packers recovered. Again, kind of the same deal there. Why rely on weird stuff to get one yard when your offense has been getting it done? If you're in a position to try to do something strange to get that one yard... Why not just run a normal offense on third down, then go for it on fourth down if you're really committed to trying to put the Packers away there. Rely on your offense to get those yards through traditional means. It's been working so far. Why not just run Jordan Howard up the middle? That had been working all game. Get weird to get some touchdowns, 
not to get one yard. We've seen a lot of weird stuff from the Bears in the red zone as they've tried to convert those red zone opportunities into touchdowns, and it's worked. Why try that in the middle of the field when you don't have to? And yet, despite all this, the Bears were able to hold steady and stayed composed and were able to salt the game away in the fourth quarter. The Packers could not take advantage of the Bears' miscues to the extent that they should have, and the Bears were able to hold steady as a result. And credit the Bears here, when things started to not go their way, they didn't get worried, they stayed level-headed, Matt Nagy and his crew rode it out, and they were able to put the the Packers away in the fourth quarter. Let's talk about how the Bears put the Packers away. The Packers played fairly well in the fourth quarter, moving the ball, but the Bears were able to make them pay for missed opportunities. Let's talk about the Packers' last three drives of the game, last three significant drives of the game. They did have an 11th drive where they uh, ended up scoring points and then their offensive or their onside kick didn't work out. But drives 8, 9, and 10 for the Packers were where the rubber met the road and they were not able to get things hammered out. On their eighth drive, uh, the Packers had several opportunities to make the Bears pay with deep throws, and Aaron Rodgers just could not connect with anybody. As a result, the Packers had to punt, and a holding call on that punt gave the Bears very good field position. They take over on the Packers' 45-yard line, they go down and score a touchdown, and go up 21-14. to I have a hard time pinning a reason exactly why those overthrows took place, but it's almost like Aaron Rodgers wasn't expecting guys to be open deep. You saw a couple deep misses to Randall Cobb where he got behind defenders or was open in in open zones down the sideline, and Aaron Rodgers missed him. And you had Marquez Valdez-Scantling open on what looked like a seam route, and Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to connect with him there. And if you can overthrow Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you're doing something. You're really throwing it deep. It was odd to see those missed throws from Rodgers, but it became something very regular over the course of the game. Rodgers missed deep again and again and again. And it was odd that those deep throws were open at all because Chicago works very hard to take away the deep balls. They did it very well last week against the Rams. And when you take away those deep passes, you force offenses to be very methodical going down the field four, five, six yards at a time. That leads to very long drives. And the offense having to get in the end zone or get to field goal range without making any mistakes. And more often than not, an offense is going to make mistakes on a couple plays in a row. Suddenly you're in third and long and the Bears um, or whatever defense is doing that can take over. That's not really what happened in this game. But when the Packers had those those opportunities deep, Rodgers and company missed them. On the ninth drive, the Packers had a terrible four-play series. Starting relatively deep in their own territory, the Packers, with their season on the line, trailing by seven, they have time late to maybe put together a couple drives, but they need to get points on this one. Otherwise, things are really going to start getting urgent. On this four-play series, Aaron Rodgers opens the drive with a sack. Then Randall Cobb, on a sort of skinny post route, has a flat-out drop. It would have put the Packers in a third-and-short situation if he doesn't pick up the first down flat-out. And then on third and very long, the screen pass is tipped, falls incomplete, and the Packers send out the punt team. Then on that punt 
Tarek Cohen has a 44-yard return, I believe it was. The Bears take over first and 10 from the Packers' 15-yard line. They end up with a field goal and go up 10, and that's pretty much it for the Packers. They do have one last opportunity to drive down the field, and it looks like things are going well until stuff stalls out in the red zone. The Packers are set up with a first and goal from the 9-yard line thanks to a big catch by Randall Cobb, which was initially flagged as a hit to the head of a defensive defenseless receiver. The refs did something that I don't believe I've seen in a Packers game all year. They picked up the flag saying it was a shoulder-to-shoulder hit as the announcers are discussing how smart it was for the refs to pick up that flag. They go to the slow-mo replay, and it shows pretty clearly that Eddie Jackson's first contact was his hands to Randall Cobb's face. That's quibbling a little bit, sure, but it was just odd to see the flag picked up there. That was during a stretch of the game um, where the, the refs decided that they, they had not been in the spotlight enough, apparently, and made several judgment calls that had just been previously no calls all game. I don't want don't to be the guy who's complaining about the refs, but this is, I guess, evidence of something that I've talked about before. Those people who always say, oh, you got to play better than the refs. I, I don't know if that's possible. Because suddenly the refs will start just making judgment calls out of nowhere that hadn't been called all game. This can go for the Packers or against the Packers or whatever. The refs' calls do affect the game, and they affected the game several times for the Packers today. But that's not really the point here because it wouldn't have made a huge difference for the Packers in this situation because the Packers stalled out in the red zone through no fault of the refs. Vic Fangio, with his back against the against the line, back to the wall, whatever. Game on the line, back against the wall. He decided to play coverage against Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers showed pretty clearly that they don't have any red zone playmakers other than Devontae Adams because the three-play sequence that follows was an Aaron Rodgers throwaway, an Aaron Rodgers throwaway, an Aaron Rodgers second interception of the season, which again happened when Jimmy Graham tipped the ball into the air and it landed in the hands of a safety. The throw is a little bit behind Graham, but still, he probably should have caught it. And that's all she wrote. The Packers did get three points late in garbage time, but really, that was the end of the game. The Bears were able to to salt the Packers away, in part by just taking advantage of the Packers' weak spots. They knew the Packers don't have a lot of playmakers on the field, especially with Aaron Jones on the sideline. And so they just let the Packers come to them, and the Packers had nowhere to go at all. So that's how the Packers' 2018 season comes to an end. Here's a couple quick observations for you. Announcer crew in this one, Dick Stockton and Daryl Johnston, largely thought they were fine, and fine is about as good as it's going to get for this crew. Khalil Mack, more than fine. He was in on three sacks, as we mentioned earlier, but I think only one of them was the result of him actually doing anything. His first one was kind of a a schemed pressure for Roquan Smith and Mack, and Lane Taylor read it exactly wrong. He blocked down on the inside. I believe it was Akeem Hicks rushing to the inside. And as a result, you had David Bakhtiari trying to block Roquan Smith and Khalil Mack at once. I know David Bakhtiari is very good, but he can't block two guys by himself. So Mack collects sack number one there. The second one, he kind of ran into that sack where Mack kind of backed into him. Spriggs got blocked upfield. Mack spins inside, and just as Aaron Rodgers is trying to step up in the pocket, he backs right into him. 
Not a, a lot of credit for Mac there, but it still shows up on the stat sheet. Then the third one, I think, is genuinely a Khalil Mack sack. But all in all, I don't think Mack's biggest impact in this game was the sacks. I think it was just the threat of him being on the field that affected the Packers. They had to account for him every time he was on the field, and, and wherever he was on the field, they had to know where he was and what he was doing. Overall, this game felt like death by a thousand Aaron Rodgers, slightly inaccurate passes. And this is a theme that I'm not sure has been explored thoroughly enough throughout this season, and I'm not sure this is the exact arena to do it. So I just want to kind of point it out here and let you watch it over the last couple weeks of the season. Aaron Rodgers has been slightly inaccurate on a lot of apparently, seemingly, relatively easy throws this year. There was an early throw in the game where Equinemius St. Brown appeared to be open on a post in the end zone. He tried to lay out for a pass, but it was just a bit too overthrown. Numerous deep shots, as we mentioned, just slightly off or, or very off. And then Equinemius St. Brown had another late play where he was open on a crosser. Rodgers misses him badly. The play ended up being nullified by a penalty, but the point still stands. Rodgers was inaccurate in a situation where it seemed like there was a very easy throw to make there. If you are a Jamal Williams fan, this was pretty much the game for you. I mentioned last week that I was kind of off the Jamal Williams bandwagon. I would still qualify myself as not being a huge Jamal Williams fan. But if you're going to be a fan of Jamal Williams, this is the game for you. He is the sort of player who just gives you what's there and no more. But in this game, the Packers were able to put him in position to get the available yards. They gave him the ball on little draw plays where he can rumble downfield, little screen plays where he can kind of just look for something to run into, run straight up field. And then the sweep play, quasi-sweep, where he scored the touchdown was as good a Jamal Williams play as you're going to see. Took advantage of everything that he does well, reading blocks, being strong in the open field, finishing runs, stuff like that, and got him into the end zone. So I don't know if I'm still a, a big Jamal Williams fan. If you can avoid it, I, I would prefer to not have him handling the ball. Obviously, you couldn't avoid that in this game, but this game is a good example of the things that he does well. Speaking of Aaron Jones being injured, I think this is a situation, if it's at all bad, if there's at all a question about him going next week, I think you just shut him down. He's probably done for the year. There's really no reason to have him try to gut it out through injury. It's kind of where he was last year at this point of the season. Just no reason to, to potentially get him hurt worse, to aggravate that injury. Just shut him down for his own good. Let's talk about Devontae Adams just for a second. I think the Bears did a smart thing in this game. Sometimes in basketball, if you've got a real hot score, but not a lot of other talent on offense, the best thing you can do is just let that offensive player shoot himself out of the game or shoot a team out of the game. You just let him get his his shots up and then shut everybody else down. It was surprising to see Prince Amukamara apparently traveling with Devontae Adams. He ended up matched up in, with Adams a lot, so I'm not sure if he was exclusively traveling with him. But the Bears did let Adams work on Amukamara a lot. They didn't work fuller against Adams all that often. And Adams finishes with eight catches for 113 yards. That's great, but nobody else in the Packers had more than 42 yards. Those 42 yards came from Jamal Williams, and he collected 21 of those 42 yards on one screenplay. Other than that, 
Nobody else for the Packers had more than 32 yards. So I think the Bears were pretty smart here. They said, okay, Devontae Adams is great. He's got the hot hand, but we're just going to let him work and make sure that nobody else can get open. Chances are Devontae Adams isn't going to be open enough with our pass rush that he's going to be able to win the game by himself. And that seems to be what happened. Finally, we've got to conclude by talking about the Packers' special teams. They were not special again. Three significant plays I think we got to focus on here. You've got the big Tariq Cohen return. That all but broke the Packers' back. That return by itself pretty much put the Bears up 10, and the game is all but over from there. Then the Packers, for a variety of reasons, they can't find a reliable guy on punt returns. Tremont Williams had his chance. He was not super reliable. He certainly didn't um, contribute many or much in the way of big plays. Then you have Randall Cobb back there today. He gets his bell rung on a, on a non-head-to-head hit. Heavy sarcasm there. And then Josh Jackson gets a shot at it and promptly, promptly muffs a punt with nobody around him at all. This is where you really miss Trevor Davis and, and having that dedicated special teams guy. Finally, on the game-deciding play, when the Packers have a chance to recover an onside kick, not that there's ever really a big chance there, but a chance nonetheless they're offside. Even if they had recovered that kick, they'd have had to do it all over again. Great work there by the not-so-special special teams, just ending the season with a great, big, wet, flat thud. So what happens next for the Packers? The Packers have nothing left to play for in this game, so let's see how the team plays going forward. Are they going to get some of those young guys out there, really try to see what they have in a couple players? I don't know. I don't know if they've got enough depth to really try to do that at all. We said last week we'll have to see what happens for the Packers if they do get eliminated, and now that they have been officially eliminated, we get to see how that plays out. We'll explore that a little bit more in depth on this Wednesday's podcast. But who sits and who plays will be a legitimate question going forward. Of course, the Packers do have two games to play. They will be at New York next week against the Jets, a noon kickoff. If there is a probable win out of these next two, it's probably this one, but who knows? Anything can happen in this Packers season, and anything probably will. Interesting to note, though, the Packers do have to get wins in these next two games where it's going to be uh, more than a year. Well, it's already more than a year, but these are their last two chances this year to get back-to-back wins this season. It's not happened in more than a year. That's wild to say. Then the Packers finish the game at or finish the season rather at home against the Lions. They have a noon kickoff once again to finish out the 2018 season. Then our Sunday afternoons are free. You can watch playoff football if you want. You can go say hello to some loved ones that you haven't seen since August. Re- would recommend that approach. You can start that new hobby. Maybe organize your bookshelf or take up knitting. Who knows? At any rate, you will have a lot of time suddenly on your hands, and it's a little bit depressing to think about. But we will be here for you throughout the off season, and we will be here for you on Wednesday once again with another episode of Blue 58. As for this one, that's all I've got for you. Thank you very much for listening. We will check back in with you on Wednesday uh, for another Wednesday edition of Blue 58 as we continue to wrap up this wild and unusual Packer season. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I've been your host, John Muernig. We'll see you in a couple days. Blue 58, hut, hut.